Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Please turn with me in your Bibles today to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. We're very slowly, methodically working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Today, Mark 4, 26 through 34. I'm calling this one... The Miracle Grove sermon, okay? The Miracle Grove. Anybody dumping that stuff liberally in your yard these days? I see a few of you. All right, let's reset the context for today's passage because it's very important. Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and it is a mixed audience of disciples, of seekers, of antagonists, maybe much like we have here today. We probably have all three represented. And he is using a certain method of teaching known as the parable. And you remember that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus knows that we are visual people, so he uses word pictures to teach us spiritual lessons. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad he did because they're so very helpful. And there are actually four parables in this larger portion of scripture that we're looking at in Mark 4, 1 through 34. The first was the parable of the sower or the soils that Pastor Travis presented to us several weeks ago. Last week, we looked at parable number two, which was the parable of the lamp. And today, we're going to cover the next two parables. They're short, and they relate. They go together. The parable of the seed growing in verses 26 through 29, and the parable of the seed multiplying in verses 30 through 34. And so you might be able to get a hint as to why we're calling this the Miracle Grow Sermon. Now, as we move forward and complete this section, it's important to note that the key to understanding these last three of the four parables is to understand the first parable, the parable of the sower and the soil. So if you're not clear on that, the other three aren't going to make a lot of sense to you because they all refer back to that one. So with that in mind, very quickly, very rapidly, let me review that first parable, the parable of the soils. It was the story of a farmer scattering seed. And what does that seed represent? the truth of God's word. The truth is being sown, is being scattered by Jesus and his followers. And some of the seed fell on the road where birds swooped in and ate the seed. And that road represented the hardness of some people's hearts, unable to receive the seed of God's word. The religious authorities of that day would have likely been represented by this hard road. Rather than penetrating their hearts, Satan swooped in like the birds and nabbed the seed and took it away. However, some of the seed fell on rocky soil where it started to grow, but it couldn't take root. And so the plant quickly withered and died. And this represents those people who initially receive God's word with joy, but because they have no root, when troubles come, they fall away. Well, some of the seed fell on thorns, and once again, the plant initially grew up, but this time, thorns choked it out, and those thorns represent those who receive the word, but their desires for other things ultimately overtake their desires for truth. And so we probably all can think of people in our own lives, even that this would, these different 
soils would represent. And then finally, some of the seed fell on good soil, soil that did not have rocks or thorns. This is fertile soil, eager for growth. And guess what happened to that seed? It flourished. It flourished and produced a crop of exponential multiplication. And so it is with people who are good soil. Those who eagerly receive God's word and obey it, God will work in them and God will work through them to produce a great gospel harvest. And so the ultimate question of parable number one, this one parable on which all the other parables in this section hinge is, are you good soil? Are you good soil? Is your heart soft? Are you humble and teachable? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you ready and willing to do absolutely whatever it is God calls you to do? These are the characteristics of faithful hearers of the word, the good soil. Now, here's how this fits with those last three parables. Again, parable number one identifies the faithful hearers, those who are good soil. And then those last three parables, numbers two through four, they identify responsibilities of faithful hearers responsibilities of faithful hearers. They answer the question, what are we, as good soil, as faithful hearers, what are we to do? And as we saw last week, responsibility number one in the parable of the lamp was don't hide the light. Don't hide the light. The light being the truth of God's word. Why? Well, because if you hide the light, you misuse it because what is a light for? It is to shine. And if you hide it, you will lose it. And so that was responsibility number one of faithful hearers. Don't hide the light. All of which brings us today to parables three and four, the parable of the seed growing and the parable of the seed multiplying, which will give us responsibilities two and three of faithful hearers. Everybody take a deep breath. I don't know, but I feel better. So um, with this in mind, would you please stand with me as I read the text for today? If you're new, you may say, why do we stand when we read the scriptures? We stand when we read the scriptures as a demonstration of the fact that we recognize its authority in our lives, that the scriptures are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is just simply an act of reverence, acknowledging what it is that we are doing. This is not a, a fictional novel that like any other piece of literature, this is the word of God. And so Mark chapter four, verse 26, and Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the, the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, again, how thankful we are for your word. We're not left here on this earth to guess or to wonder what is true. You have given us truth. 
And so, Father, as we study this passage of truth today, I pray that you would help us to be those with ears to hear. Help us to be the good soil. Help us to be those who are eager to receive and to respond in any way that you would call us to do so. I pray for your help in preaching your word. Holy Spirit, may you be the preacher today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So again, this is the miracle Grow sermon where we are confronted with parables three and four, the parable of the seed growing and the parable of the seed multiplying, which will give us the last of the responsibilities in this section for faithful hearers. And responsibility number two, everybody say two. The responsibility number two of faithful hearers and the parable of the seed growing is don't underestimate the power of the seed to grow. Don't underestimate the power of the seed to grow. Look with me at verse 26. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if, which as you know is a very common way for Jesus to introduce a parable. He has identified the spiritual reality that he is going to explain with a physical reality. And the spiritual reality here that he's going to explain is the kingdom of God which raises an important question for us this morning, which is, what is the kingdom of God? You know, that's, that's a phrase, a term that we throw around a lot, we use a lot, but do we really know what it is? What is the kingdom of God? How would you define it? John MacArthur defines it this way. He said, the kingdom of God is God's sovereign rule over the sphere of salvation at present in the hearts of his people and in the future in a literal earthly kingdom. I think that's right on, and I would simply say it this way, condensing it, I would say the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus. The kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus. In the present, where we are right now, the kingdom is spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom that where Jesus reigns in our hearts, and as we as joyful hearers, receivers of the seed and of the light, we then live out those kingdom principles. It's a spiritual kingdom residing in our hearts. And those principles of the kingdom are largely explained in Matthew 5 through 7, that passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. In the future, the kingdom will also be physical as he literally reigns here on earth. Aren't you excited about that? Maranatha. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, you'll remember that in Jesus' day, there were frequent misunderstandings, misconceptions about the nature of the kingdom. For example, so many Jews were anticipating a Messiah who would bring the kingdom to earth with force and would overthrow the Romans. And when Jesus came, and that was clearly not his present priority, people got disillusioned. And even discouraged and even asking, what, what kind of kingdom is this? This is not what we expected. Their expectations of the kingdom were not being met. I think this was Judas's problem, right? Judas expected that kind of forceful kingdom to come and overthrowing the Romans. It didn't happen. It wasn't happening. And so he attempted to force Jesus' hand. Well, to correct such misconceptions of the nature of the kingdom, Jesus described it using parables. And so he goes on in verse 26 to say, the kingdom of heaven is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The kingdom of heaven is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So Jesus is going to use the physical reality of a farmer scattering seed to teach us something about the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God, which prompts us to ask the question in this parable, what is the seed? What does the seed represent? Well, 
Just as in parable number one, the seed represents the truth of God's word. All right, and so again, here's how the parables are related. The seed represents the truth of God's word here, just as it did in parable number one. There are other New Testament passages which speak of the word in these terms. For example, 1 Peter 1.23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then James 1.21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. I love that. The implanted word, as if it's seed, which is able to save your souls. So, as was the case in parable number one, the seed refers to the truth of God's word. Now, we need to ask, well, who's the man scattering the seed? Well, just as in parable number one, the man represents the followers of Jesus. It's the disciples. It's you and me. The joyful subjects of his kingdom who are faithful ears, who themselves had hearts that were good soil. They receive the seed and then they turn around and scatter the seed. Or in the vernacular of the second parable, um, they receive the light and then they shine the light. Now, how many farmers do we have here today? Raise your hand. Farmers? So thankful for you. God bless you. So much respect for you. There's so much we can learn from you today in this particular passage because... The truth contained in this parable in a spiritual sense is that we are all farmers in a spiritual sense. We are all farmers, scatterers of seed. So let me ask you the question, what are the characteristics of a good farmer? Somebody yell out a couple for me. What's a good farmer like? Tenacious. I like that. Dedicated. What else? Smart? Yeah. What else? Hard worker. All right, so lots and lots and lots of characteristics of a good farmer. I'm going to boil it down to three this morning and apply them to our spiritual lives. The first characteristic of a good farmer is diligence, is diligence. What does the farmer do in the parable? He scatters the seed, working hard to do his or her part. Why? Because without the scattering of seed, there ain't no harvest, is there? There is no harvest. So therefore, a good farmer has to be diligent, scattering the seed, doing his or her part. And so it is with God's faithful hearers, those of us who are good soil. We not only receive the word, but we are diligent in scattering it. A good farmer is diligent, doing their part. The next characteristic of a good farmer is faith. Does it take faith to be a farmer? Oh my goodness. Look at verse 27. Jesus said, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. Because here's the thing, no matter how good of a farmer you may be, you ultimately can't make anything grow, correct? Only God can do that. Which requires then a great deal of faith on the part of the farmer. You do your part, but then you have to trust that God is going to do his miraculous part of bringing about plants and fruit from the seed. And friends, just as that is true in scattering physical seeds, so it is true in scattering spiritual seed. It takes a lot of faith, doesn't it, when we share the truth of God's word, but we must understand that at the end of the day, it's not us who can make it grow in someone's heart. It is God himself and God alone who can do it. The Apostle Paul he, he's probably a little better at this than we are. Would you agree? And yet, he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And this is such a relief to me. It's not my job to make the seed grow. It's my job to be a faithful farmer, a scatterer of the seed, to number one, be diligent with the seed, but number two, full of faith that God is going to do his part. Not even the mighty apostle Paul can make the seed grow. Only God can, which requires a tremendous amount of faith. And so the characteristics of a good farmer, they're the diligence, faith, but how about patience? How about patience? Look at verse 28. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And as we know, does that happen instantaneously? Plant the seed, up comes the plant the next day, right? No, it's a process that often takes months. Planting in spring, harvesting in the fall. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we do a lot of things. We milk a lot of cows probably and some other things as well, but largely we wait. We wait patiently for God to do his part and to bring about the harvest. And again, just as it is in scattering physical seeds, so it is in scattering spiritual seed. Listen to James 5, 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, go back with me to verse 28 of Mark 4. Something important here. When it says, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. That, that phrase by itself comes from the Greek automate, which, from which we get our English word automatically which gives us some important insight into the nature of the seed itself. And the insight is this. The seed, the truth of God's word, is more powerful than we know. As it says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. How powerful is that? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let us be reminded this morning that the word is powerful. It is, in fact, the power of God for salvation, and it shall accomplish everything that God purposes. So listen carefully, church. Contrary to the practice of so many tragically today, we must never, ever apologize for the word, alter the word, dilute the word, or neglect the word. Because to do so is to empty the word of its power. Now, I want to be careful here. I want to be very careful here and not in any way be prideful or judgmental toward other congregations. I confess to you in my heart, in the quiet places, in the dark places of my heart, I can be just that way. However, I think this is a teachable moment and I think it's fair to say this, that in general, churches that apologize for the word, who alter the word, who dilute the word or neglect the word are churches in decline. And that can be said also of denominations, entire denominations themselves who have chosen to do any of these things to the word. 
We can look around and not see far that that is, in fact, the case. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because this parable tells us the seed, it's powerful, it grows automatically. The word of God is powerful, and when you rob the church of the word of God, you also rob the church of the power of God. Now, listen carefully. This assumes, and we, that, that's, we shouldn't assume, but it assumes that there is also a dependence upon the Holy Spirit in the implementation of the Word. For truly, we need both the Word and the Spirit, do we not? Which is why I bring to your attention regularly, it is our desire, our aspiration to be a both-and church. Not just a church of the word or just a church of the spirit, but a church that brings both together. We need the spirit. But I think it's fair to say that the spirit will not work in a church where the word is not at work. Amen? Now, with all that in mind, why do you think it was important for the disciples to hear Jesus for the disciples of Jesus to hear this parable at this time. Put yourself in their sandals for a moment. Jesus is teaching this parable. Why did the disciples need this in that context at that time? Well, again, there is brewing disillusionment about the nature of the kingdom. And so the disciples might be tempted to depend on other means to bring the kingdom about, whether that be political means, military means, or some other means. And to all of that, Jesus says, disciples, church, don't do that. That's not how the kingdom comes. That's not how the kingdom comes. Because the means of the kingdom of God coming is the word of God. And so you must be much more like farmers than like soldiers. You must be like farmers exercising diligence, faith, and patience. And if the disciples will do this, if we will do this, there was this wonderful promise in verse 29 which says, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The seed of the truth of God's word will in fact bring a harvest. Mark it down, it will happen. Why? Because God promised because God promised and he is always faithful to his word. And as it says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We will reap. Why? Not because we're powerful, but because the seed is powerful and God makes it grow. In the meantime, we gotta be good farmers, full of diligence, full of faith, and full of patience. And so based on the parables of the seed growing, what is responsibility number two of faithful hearers? It is don't underestimate the power of the seed, the power of God's word to grow. Don't apologize for the word. Don't alter the word. Don't dilute the word. Don't neglect the word. Rather, be a good farmer. Next, responsibility number three of faithful hearers is this. Don't underestimate the power of the seed to multiply to multiply. And this comes to us in parable number four, the parable of the seed multiplying. Look at verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? Again, a very similar introduction to the previous parable. 
Verse 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. All right, time for some real life conversation. Uh, What do you like on your hot dog? Ketchup only. Let me see my ketchup only people. Mustard only people. Mustard and ketchup people. Oh, by far, by far. And we won't even get into chili. See, there, relish, chili, cheese, onions. I mean, we could go far afield here as if we haven't already. But um, today we're just talking about mustard, okay? Specifically the mustard seed. The mustard seed. You see a mustard seed. Not very impressive, is it? So tiny. Jesus even calls it the smallest of all the seeds on earth which technically isn't true. There are actually smaller seeds like that of wild orchids that are smaller, and it is this that has caused some to say, aha, I knew the Bible had errors in it. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I mean, there are those who will point to this and say, see, there are errors in the Bible. But the fact of the matter is that what Jesus was doing is limiting his statement to that which his, with which his audience would have been familiar. Because in that culture, the mustard seed was a common comparison for that which was small. Um, when we talk about something being small, we might say it's uh, small like a shrimp, right? Well, I mean, a shrimp is small, but it, it becomes very familiar and common for us to say small like a shrimp even though there are things much smaller. In that culture, the mustard seed was a common comparison for that which was small. And so he's accommodating his teaching to their knowledge at that time. Remember Matthew 17, 20. Another occasion, Jesus brings up the mustard seed. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So again, in that culture, this particular audience, the mustard seed was a common symbol for that which was small. And Jesus used it for the purpose, this purpose on multiple occasions. Now, how might we ask, was the kingdom small like a mustard seed? Well, it certainly had small and humble beginnings, did it not? Just think about Jesus himself for a moment, his his coming to earth. He was born in a stable laid in a manger, raised in Nazareth of Galilee, certainly very small and humble beginnings. And then there's his disciples, a ragtag bunch of uneducated men, certainly not the Jewish social and religious elite. Again, very small, very humble beginnings, just like a mustard seed. But then comes verse 32. Jesus goes on with the parable saying, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And as the next picture very simply says, from this to this. First, the proverbial smallest seed in Israelite culture, and then eventually, Something so much bigger. The kingdom of God has small, humble beginnings, but will become larger and greater than you can possibly imagine. 
So large and so great that it says in Revelation 7-9, if you remember a while back when we studied the book of Revelation, it says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So once again, we have the situation of from this, the seed, to this, the large mustard tree. Now God actually has a strategy for this. Did you know it? It's called discipleship. The great commission of the church is to make disciples. And the apostle Paul taught to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. He said, hey, this is how it works. This is how we have been taught, commanded to make disciples. Timothy, this is what we got to do. 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's a strategy to this. The strategy for multiplication. It starts with one person who then passes it on to another, who then passes it on to others, who then passes it on to others. And this is precisely why one of the core values of discipleship groups here at First Baptist Church is that they reproduce. They reproduce. Why? Because it's God's way. It's God's way. We are to be constantly replicating disciples who will then go on to replicate disciples. That was God's plan all along. Now let's ask the question here, as we did earlier, why do you think it was important for the disciples to hear this parable at this time? Again, brewing disillusionment about the kingdom of God at this particular point in time in Jesus' ministry, I could see if you're one of the disciples and you're looking around and saying, hey, we've, saw, we've seen Jesus do some cool things, but this whole kingdom thing isn't really coming to take shape like we thought. And actually, it's not very impressive where it's just us and Jesus, an itinerant teacher from Galilee and 12 uneducated followers. What kind of kingdom is that? And further... Jesus had just shared with them the parable of the soils. Um, There's a certain level of discouragement about the parable of the soils, is there not? It was revealed that three of the four soils will not produce viable plants or fruit. So again, you talk about small, humble, and unimpressive. Again, that reality could seem rather discouraging as they set out to spread the seed. It's like, well, why why bother to spread the seed if three out of the four types of soil are going to reject it? Will there ever be much of a harvest? And Jesus answers that question with a resounding, oh, oh yes, you don't even know. You don't even get it. The mustard seed will become the mustard tree and so large, in fact, that birds are going to come and find shelter in its branches. What is beginning small will become larger than you can possibly imagine. For that reason, responsibility number three of faithful hearers, the good soil, is don't underestimate the power of the seed to multiply. And I think it's also appropriate to say, and find your place in that process, that strategy of discipleship, where we pass it on to others who will pass it on to others. Well, the section ends with verses 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. 
He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Now again, this might seem kind of harsh as if Jesus is trying to hide stuff from people, but I would take you back again to the parable of the soils. And even last week when we talked about the radio frequencies and tuning in, that those who have good soil are those who have spiritual ears tuned to the Jesus frequency. Those who are bad soils, they are not tuned with their spiritual ears to the Jesus frequency. Therefore, when Jesus is broadcasting in parables on the Jesus frequency, they're not hearing it. They're not getting it. But those who are tuned in, they hear and they get it. So we have in these parables of the seeds the two responsibilities for today. Responsibility number two, don't underestimate the power of the seed to grow. And then responsibility number three, don't underestimate the power of the seed to multiply. Let's shift to application. Ask that familiar question, how should we then live? And I believe the overarching mandate is to go back to what we talked about earlier. Be a good farmer. We're all going to be farmers, okay? A scatterer of seed, like we saw in the parables, demonstrating those characteristics of a good farmer that we talked about earlier. First of all, be diligent. Specifically, diligent with how you handle the seed of God's word. Diligent with God's word. Not just dabbling in God's word. Not just casually engaging God's word. Not just nibbling on God's word. Immerse yourself in it. Study it, memorize it, journal it, share it. Why? Because the seed of God's word has power. Just as it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because you see, here's the thing. When we neglect God's word, we forfeit God's power. When we neglect God's word, we forfeit God's power. Again, we need the spirit and the word. But I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find places where the spirit is powerfully at work and the word isn't. If you desire the spirit to be powerfully at work in your life, the word must also be powerfully at work in your life. Therefore, as farmers, we must be diligent with how we handle the seed of God's word. And being diligent means giving it the time and the attention it deserves. If you need help with that, it's like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Don't sit in that uncertainty and use it as an excuse. Don't be a victim here. Call the church office. Call me. Call Travis. Call David. Call people you know. We will help you take next steps in being diligent with God's word. It's too important. It's too important. Next, like a good farmer, we must be full of faith. We must be full of faith, specifically faith that God is very much at work in doing really big things, even when we can't see it, even when we can't see it or feel it. Just like when the seed is planted, right? Um, you plant the seed, and if you just sit there and stare at it, it sure looks like nothing's happening, doesn't it? It feels like nothing's happening, but, but we know better, don't we? We know better. There's a lot going on beneath the surface, a lot going on in the soil. As it says in the, the, the popular song, Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. 
Now that requires a large amount of faith in our part, does it not? To say, I can't see it, I can't feel it, but I know my God is true to his word. I know he is working and I will choose to exercise my will and trust in him. Because it says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Now, I think part of what it means to be full of faith is to have really big visions of who God is and what God can do. Church, we need to grow in that, I believe. We need to be full of visions of how big God is and the big things that God wants to do. Why? Because it says right here, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So we must be Good farmers, we must be diligent, we must be full of faith, and lastly, we must be patient. We must be patient, which is not something I'm good at. These parables were meant to instill confidence in discouraged followers of Jesus. These parables were meant to instill confidence in discouraged followers of Jesus, to help them overcome seasons of dis- despair where you know, they've been disillusioned about the kingdom, disillusioned about what they see and what they feel about what God is doing. And when it seems like nothing is happening or at least nothing good, these parables remind us, oh, that God is doing so much more than we can see or feel. He's causing the seed to grow. He guarantees that there will be a harvest. And so it says in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We will reap. Why? Again, not because we're powerful, but because the seed is powerful and God makes it grow. In the meantime, we must be good farmers, diligent, full of faith, and patient. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and acknowledge our microwave mindset, wanting things instantaneously, getting frustrated and even angry, maybe bitter when things don't happen in our time frame the way we think they should happen. God, would you remind us this morning in your sovereignty? Your wisdom, your goodness, your faithfulness, you work according to your time frame, your timetable. But God, we thank you for the promises of your word, that your word is powerful, and you long to be powerful in and through us. So God, would you make us those good farmers? God, for those who are here this morning who have been neglectful of your word, they're anything but diligent. Maybe today, it's not a day to heap guilt, it's a day to challenge and to inspire and say, What better time than right now to become a diligent farmer, diligently handling God's word. God, for those who are here this morning who are beaten down and they're discouraged, they're anything but full of faith. God, how I pray that you would inspire them with a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit, a fresh vision of what it is that you're at work doing. God, may they leave here today full of faith that even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, you're at work. And God, for those of us who are impatient, may we be still and know that you are God. Not using that as an excuse for passiveness or laziness, but using that as an exercise of dependence upon you. Because without you, we can do nothing. 
So God, we thank you for this church family. Pray that you would work mightily in our midst. Pray that as we scatter the seed in this community, oh, how we pray that we would see weekly baptisms, weekly baptisms. Make it so we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.